Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. Connecticut schools will be able to fully reopen this fall. The state announced this decision at Governor Ned Lamont's daily briefing on Thursday. But a lot can change between now and late August related to COVID-19. So how should school districts prepare to reopen? And what happens if there's another spike in cases? Will schools close and shift back to online learning? Today, Connecticut Education Commissioner Dr. Miguel Cardona joins us to answer our questions and yours. If you're a parent, what do you want your child's school to have in place before you send your child back? If you're a teacher or staff member, do you want to return this fall? We want to hear from you. Here's the number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Again, Connecticut Education Commissioner Dr. Miguel Cardona joins us now by phone. Commissioner Cardona, welcome back to the show. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. We don't have a lot of time, so I want to jump right in. Uh, You and Governor Lamont stated that current health trends, the fact that community spread of COVID-19 is low, has led to your decision that schools should fully reopen this fall. But you also said at that briefing, school will look different. That means masks on all students and staff, even when kids ride the bus. When we talk about the classroom, Commissioner Cardono, what will it look like to keep kids and teachers safe? Yes, thank you. Exactly. The, we are not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination uh, in terms of uh, precautionary measures that we have to take. So the announcement yesterday is signaling to districts with a plan coming out on uh, more detailed plan coming out on Monday that they should have different scenarios for planning. Uh, classrooms, even in the best scenario, classrooms should have as much social distancing as possible and masks need to be worn. Students should be facing the same direction. There should be additional space between the teacher and the students when uh, the teacher is teaching. Uh, so there are many things that we uh, are going to have to see different than how it was before March, um, even, with a, even with the data that we have here in Connecticut now. We heard from Tara on Facebook who asked a question that many parents, even teachers, are probably wondering. How are 20 to 30 kids supposed to remain six feet apart in a classroom when they're already packed in like sardines? She writes there aren't enough gymnasiums and cafeterias to offset that problem in any of the schools in her district. How do you respond to that, Commissioner Cardona? Yeah, it's a great um, great question, great, great thought. We know that uh, we're going to maximize social distancing and we're going to keep students uh, spread out as much as possible. Uh, but the other mitigation, mitigating uh, strategies, such as face coverings, is intended to uh, allow for students to be together even if you're not able to get to the six feet. Again, this is a prediction of two months out where we're going to be in Connecticut if the trends continue. There's always the opportunity if the data doesn't allow for that to happen to scale back and have less students, which means only some students would be coming in daily. Um, But we feel at this point that a combination of mitigation strategies is the best approach. And we are working with districts, larger districts, to try to help them have some technical assistance in terms of looking at 
the class layout and use of space. And we're going to prioritize the districts that have class sizes that are very high with regard to providing support and and funds to help uh, spread students out and come up with strategies. Mm. But at this point, the state is not going to tell a school district how many kids uh, should be in a classroom. It's going to be up to a school district to figure out how to maximize social distancing, as you just said? Correct. We, we heard from many that the state should provide uh, guardrails, if you will, and locals, local districts should be able to have some input in how what it looks like. Every district is different. Some buildings are older, some are newer. So the use of space could be done differently in, in different locations. So we, we're giving districts the opportunity to develop plans based on their local situation. And um, the plan will outline what, what they should be thinking about as they make those plans. Let's talk more about masks, because uh, we know that even with the reopening of our state and what we're seeing around the country, uh, Commissioner, not everybody wants to wear a mask. But what's going to happen when, uh, obviously, you're going to have to make exceptions for children uh, who may have medical conditions or they're not able to wear a mask for the full day. But what happens when a parent says to you, I don't want my child to wear a mask, or they say to their principal or superintendent, why are you requiring my child to wear a mask for the full day? day. If you don't get full mask adherence, isn't that risky for the rest of the school population, Commissioner? It is. Uh, we had uh, a lot of conversation with our partners at the Department of Public Health around the mitigation strategies that we should recommend and those that we should require. And it was felt strongly that the requirement of mask is one of those mitigating factors that uh, reduces spread. And it is a challenge. There's no question about it. I, I also, I, I understand the perspective of parents that say, how do you keep a child wearing a mask all day? I understand that. I know it's difficult. This is by no stretch a, an easy plan. However, without masks, we're also increasing opportunities for spread, which would mean that it's more likely that we're not going to be able to have the same staff members returning. And without staff members returning, we're not opening schools. So it, it, it all works together to try to present the best opportunity for students to return in the fall. You can join our conversation with, again, with Education Commissioner Dr. Miguel Cardona, 888-720-9677. Rebecca's calling in from Rocky Hill. Rebecca, you're on the show. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. My question is this. Given that it's challenging as a public school teacher to have children even follow the most basic of dress codes and other safety rules, I'm very concerned that making kids wear masks and keeping the masks on them and having it not just be mask and name only when a teacher is looking, I'm not sure how that would be enforceable and what tools and strategies administrators and teachers could be given to make that more likely to be successful and not just another stumbling block between the relationship between students and teachers. Right. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the question. Thank you for the question. That's the, that's the challenge that we're going to have ahead of us in education to uh, put our heads together to find strategies to have students wearing masks uh, in a way that gives them plenty of mask breaks, that um, they understand why it's important to have masks, and that we ultimately promote health and safety for the people that are in the school building. I think that's it's a challenge. I, I don't disagree with the caller, and I recognize that it is going to be a challenge. I think that's something where we have to come together if we really want to have students coming back to school, and I think we do. Given what we've experienced with distance learning, um, you know, 
amazing work done by educators, but we're hearing from families, from students, and from teachers that it's not a substitute for being in school. You used the term, we're in an educational emergency yesterday at that governor's briefing. What did you mean, Commissioner? You know, we do recognize that the health pandemic is the primary influencer for how we're rolling in, and we want to make sure health and safety is paramount. But we also know that we have many students who have expressed uh, great sadness or disconnect from any um, relational uh opportunities, uh, not to mention the lack of academic access that many students have faced uh, due to having to have remote learning. Um, so we have to recognize that this is an opportunity for us to re-engage our learners in a way that is going to get the best out of them. I think the longer they're out of school in a structured way, the more difficult it's going to be to regain that bandwidth for learning. And from a social-emotional perspective, we have to also acknowledge the risks that are associated when you're not in school, the social-emotional uh, impact that that has on students, the further trauma that ex they experience. And um, that's something that we have to take into account in addition to whatever potential risks there are when students are not in school. Are they, in, are they home? Are they out? Are they um, engaging without precautionary measures, without masks? Are they... Um, having risks that then they bring to the school when they come in partially. So these are all mitigants. Uh, these are all things that we have to consider when coming up with decisions. Join the conversation, 888-720-9677, especially if you're a parent or teacher and you wonder how a school will resume fully this fall. Heather is calling from Glastonbury. Heather, you're on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I just wanted to make a comment. I am an elementary school nurse. Um, about the social distancing and the mask wearing um, in general for the community as well as my concerns for when school resumes. Um, based off of a, a comment I heard the um, commissioner make, um, I just think people are a little confused because uh, it does clearly say on the CDC website that everyone should continue to keep six feet distance and that the cloth face cover is not a substitute for social distancing. So it's really not one or the other. It's really supposed to be both. Um, so I think people in general are, are not taking that to heart currently, and I think that's going to be a big problem in the classrooms. Commissioner, how do you respond? Thank you. Yes, she's right that there's not one over the other. We're promoting uh, six-foot distancing where feasible, but we, just like the CDC guidelines say, social distancing at six feet where feasible, we're asking districts to spread students out. In some cases, due to declining enrollment, it's, it's going to be possible to move students and have spaces used where you can keep students uh, that far apart. But it doesn't substitute, even six feet doesn't uh, give you the, it doesn't allow for you to operate without a mask. So we're feeling that a combination of these strategies is the best approach in addition to cohorting and in addition to frequent hand washing and um, additional cleaning. So we, we understand that a combination of these is the best, that there's no one strategy, and we're promoting that in our plan. Mm -hmm. You know, that part of it, you know, I'm an, educa I'm an educator by trade. We, we lean very heavily on the advice and direction of our partners at the Department of Public Health to 
develop the part of the plan that has health and safety considerations. So um, just I, I want listeners to hear that part, that the plan was done with a lot of input from our uh, colleagues that are epidemiologists and um, occupational health uh, experts. Hmm. But let's take uh, the bus situation. I believe when I was listening in on that, that briefing yesterday that uh, the recommendation is that buses will be resumed at, uh, resuming at full capacity. And there's no way to practice social distancing and wear your mask at the same time, Commissioner. Right. So buses are going to be, uh, when local districts develop plans for buses, we, we do put in our plan that they could operate at near full capacity. But if the... Uh, social distancing is not possible or if mask wearing is not possible because they're, they're not, uh, they're not able to have a monitor, then we're recommending that districts either stagger buses or split the number of students on one bus so that you don't have bus situations where you have 70 students on a bus. I think there has to be some realistic planning there and we feel that districts are best poised to be able to make those decisions based on the factors that they have. Mm. in their community. So again, Commissioner... It's important to note also that we have... It's important to note also that we have... You know, what we learned in the last three months is some communities are, are more greatly affected than others. There were some communities that didn't have any cases um, of COVID-19, and their their feeling was that the restrictions are preventing students from having access to education. In other communities where there was a higher COVID spread, um, we had to ramp ramp up the mitigation strategies to limit the number of students that are uh, being around each other. So we expect that with the rollout of the individual plans from the districts as well. Do you expect that you're going to hear from school districts, Commissioner Cardona, who believe that the best way to move forward, even though the state's recommending that schools reopen fully, you may hear from school districts because they're hearing from their parents. They're not going to send their children back. They want the online learning to continue. How will you address that? So families who choose not to send their children in will have an opportunity to have remote learning continue. We understand that families have experienced COVID in different ways, and for some families, they're just not ready to send their students back. And we we respect that. We understand that uh, that's their decision, and we feel that it's in the best interest of our students in Connecticut to offer remote learning opportunities um, until families feel comfortable ready to send their students back. But then how do you address the equity issues? So you may have certain students who uh, the parents decide that online learning, they're not going to send their children back. Then you have other kids in school. Maybe their parents don't have flexibility. They have essential jobs, so to speak, and they're in school. There's just so many factors at play. I'm just wondering, uh, you know, how do you provide guidance to school districts? It seems like a lot is being put on them to figure this out, uh, Commissioner. Well, no, I think we've been working with uh, school districts, uh, superintendents, and we've been listening to teachers. And what we're hearing is give us guardrails and let us work with our teams to plan it. When we talk about developing teacher confidence, uh, parent confidence in the plan, they have to have a role in this development for their local district. Um, the guidelines or the, the guardrails, if you will, that we present are based on what we're hearing from our health experts, but also what we've heard from the people that we've spoken to, whether it's teachers or, or superintendents, that there, there needs to be some level of local decision-making based on the factors in that community. 
and we stand poised to help them. I mean, we're not dropping the plan and saying, well, good luck, we'll see you in September. We're going to work with them. We're setting up, you know, focus groups that have conversations. We're, we're trying to provide technical assistance around how to use space differently, social-emotional supports that students need, uh, curricular supports uh, for students that are remote learning. So we're going to continue with the process, but we need to give them an opportunity to look at the plan and, and with a team in their district, develop the best strategies in their community. Dobbin's calling in to the show. Dobbin from Avon, go ahead with your question. Hi, I have two questions. Um, first is, uh, if you look at Israel, when they opened their schools, they had fewer COVID-19 cases countrywide than Connecticut did with a larger population. When they opened their schools, within two weeks, they had to close over 100 and had thousands of students and teachers in quarantine. So my first question is, is how is this going to be different from us? And then regarding some of your earlier comments, when we reached out to the district, they said this decision was entirely up to yourself and the governor. Um, curious why there wasn't more input from parents or the districts in terms of early on in the process rather than now as to how they would deal with reopening. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for the question, Devin. So we, in the plan, we're going to have a stage rollback which local districts have the ability to uh, navigate. So if the trends of infection in the community uh, are such that a local district needs to close, they're going to be able to do that. The plan yesterday called for three different plans to be developed. One, full reopening where all students can come in using the mitigation strategies that we required and the ones that we suggested. The second would be a hybrid model where districts could choose to bring in a percentage of students to increase the space, to increase, uh, reduce the number of students that are coming in daily. And then thirdly, a remote learning model. Um, districts, we, we had advisory groups going where we had, we heard from different districts and we have had, uh, you know, surveys that we received thousands of responses to. And that information did drive a lot of the conversation with our reopening efforts. Um, so I recognize that, and we've been looking at other states and we've looked at other countries and what success they've had or what challenges they have, and we're prepared to adjust and be fluid, um, knowing that whatever we put out will have to change if the data changes and if the science changes too. I think that's another good point. We know more about COVID spread now than we did two months ago. We're going to continue to evolve our learning and we're going to adjust accordingly. Uh, the Commissioner Cardona, Amanda, tweeted to us that in her district of North Haven, 46% of parents stated they were not comfortable sending children back to school. Are you expecting these high numbers? And if so, you know, how will that decision to let them opt out uh, impact the free and appropriate public education compliance that schools must follow? Um, yes, yeah, so we do plan on having districts offer a distance learning model and the percentage of parents that choose to keep their children home will obviously impact the number of students that are going to be riding buses. It's going to impact the number of students that are going to be in a classroom. Um, we recognize the challenge that this is for districts to plan without having absolutes, uh, but we also want to give the information out to districts right away. So when parents choose not to send their students back, we do feel that remote learning uh, still constitutes uh, safe, but the free appropriate public education. But we want to give districts an opportunity to develop plans so we can build the confidence in those families to consider 
sending their students to school because we do believe we're putting in health and safety precautions that are going to keep students and staff safe. Again, you're hearing State Education Commissioner Dr. Miguel Cardona. He has a meeting he has to go to, so we've got about another 10 minutes. I want to keep taking some calls from our listeners. You can join us, too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Ruben's calling in from West Hartford. Ruben, you're on the show. Okay, so I'm just wondering, so in my school in West Hartford, I... There's a thousand kids who go to my school. I'm in seventh grade, by the way. And if all a thousand kids go to the school, like, and without, um, if and all the kids, if all are there at once, it is literally impossible to keep, um, to keep social distance, like, and keep safe. And if you don't have all the kids go, then that's unfair. So it seems like which is more important, the safety of the students or the um, comforts of the students? Mm. Ruben, great question. Commissioner Cardona, how do you respond to the seventh grader? Thank you. And I love, always love to hear from students, uh, their perspective. Uh, you know, Ruben brings up a good point, how challenging this is for not only all states in, in the country, but, but for schools as they're making decisions around equity, around access. Keeping in mind that any protocols that we share or any recommendations are based, uh, are vetted very carefully through our health and safety partners to ensure health and safety. Um, but, you know, to Ruben's point, school is not going to look like what it looked like prior to March 13th. So what the experience was of a seventh grader this previous year may be different next year. So in the middle schools, we're strongly recommending cohorting. So it could be that a student in seventh grade doesn't have exposure to a lot of other students, is not moving around the school like they did last year to minimize um, contact with other students. It could be that seventh graders are in an area and teachers rotate to come to them. So what Ruben experienced and what all the other students experienced will look different. I think it's important to know this is not, we're not going into normal. We're not going into uh, schools prior to COVID. We're going to go into schools in a way that reduces interaction. Um, And we've heard from many people that that's difficult because students thrive on social interaction. So it's a challenge. It's a balance. And I think the point that I made earlier is worth repeating. Sometimes it's more risky when students are not in school and um, they're, they may be home alone or they may be congregating together without masks, without any social distancing, and then returning to school on a part-time basis, um, you know, where they, they do have those medication strategies, but you don't know what they're exposed to when they're not in school. So school is a structured environment, not only for health and safety precautions, but also for that social engagement that students definitely need at that age. Mike's calling in from New Britain. Mike, you're on where we live. Go ahead. Uh, Commissioner, I'm curious as to how important uh, the consideration of a second wave is in the timing of a fall session. Thank you for that question. That's a great question. I think, you know, while we're optimistic that Connecticut's data is probably one of the best in in the country, we're not blinded by the fact that there are many predictions for a second wave and that we need to plan for them. 
So we are also including in our requirement for districts a plan for full remote learning. We're not going to risk health and safety um, and not be prepared to roll back as we need to roll back. And, you know, much like it was in March, I think the school systems did a wonderful job shutting schools down and going to remote learning quickly to prevent uh, risk of infection. And we expect that if the data suggests or if we see trends coming that way, we're going to do the same exact thing. And the goal is to have a better uh, rollout of distance learning or remote learning in a way where more students have access to technology and connectivity. And we're working really hard to try to focus our efforts and our funding on giving those devices out so that if we do have to go back to a second round of distance learning, more students are able to access uh, good content. Mm-hmm. Commissioner Cardona, just to follow up, but because of what we're hearing from public health experts, because of this expected second wave, as Mike brings up, why not just allow school districts to focus and do a good job thinking about how to make online learning more robust because of the danger that people feel going back to school or being around people, no matter wearing masks, uh, to, you know, to catch this virus. Uh, certainly in March, so many schools had to pivot and online learning could have been improved. There were kids in our state that didn't even have laptops until, you know, practically May, June. But why not just have school districts focus on one thing instead of having them think about how are we going to make this work? And, you know, there's so many factors that could change between now and August. And we may end up just going to online learning because of the public health trends at the time. Right. We we do feel that robust online learning planning needs to continue. And we do need to close that digital divide. However, we hear from thousands of families that are saying, we can't do this remote learning thing anymore. My child has autism and it's not the same. A laptop and connectivity does not work for my child. Um, we hear from students who are saying, school, give me a reason to wake up in the morning. Uh, so we recognize the challenges that we have ahead of us and it's extremely difficult to plan two months out. There's no other sector that has to plan two months out and predict two months out. So. Having plans that are most restrictive, such as distance learning, and having plans that are less restrictive, such as bringing students back in, we feel is the best approach to give our students the best opportunity to be successful, but also the opportunity for districts to pull back if it's required to maintain health and safety in the community. So that's the approach that we're taking. We really, we know that the impact that it's having on students not to be in school, and we want to make sure that if we're, if it's able, if we're able to get students in school safely, we want to take advantage of that. Students have missed three months of instruction. As I said earlier, it is an educational emergency. Um, and if we're able to get them in safely, full, that'd be fantastic. If we're able to do it in a hybrid version where we can bring them in little by little, someone mentioned um, equity issues. Yes, we're, we're also trying to mitigate those because we know it's not the same throughout Connecticut. But if we can get a version based on health data that suggests that we should do it more staggered, then we're going to support that. And if the data, health data says, you know what, it's it's unsafe or there's a risk of a continuous spread, then we are comfortable being able to pull back and say remote learning is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Educators have a challenge ahead of us, uh, unprecedented challenge. They've risen to the occasion over the last three months. We've seen that, and we're prepared to do the very best, provide as many options to get students in school, not at the risk of uh not blindly though we have to 
pay attention to the health data, and be able to pull back as needed to make sure that we're providing the safest environment for our students and staff. Commissioner, you were a teacher once. Uh, You sound pretty stressed out right now uh, trying to figure out how this is all going to (laughs) work. As a teacher listening uh, in on that briefing yesterday, would you feel confident returning in the fall? I've heard from teachers who said, we need to go back. We need to be safe, but we need to go back. And what I'm saying is for, for teachers is, be a part of the conversation at your school level. Um, make sure that, you know, you feel comfortable. You have to feel comfortable going back. I, I understand that. And what we're trying to do is give guidelines early so that the decisions that are being made locally can have input from teachers so we could build that consumer confidence, not only in our teachers, but in our paraeducators, in our other staff members, and most importantly, in our students and families. Commissioner, I want to fit in one more call. Hannah's calling in from West Hartford. She's a special education teacher. Hannah, quickly, what's your question or comment? Hi, uh, I'm actually a speech therapist that works with kids with severe special needs. So I have two questions. Um, unfortunately, just because of remote learning, students with special needs have, uh, you know, unfortunately been on the most inequitable end of remote learning due to things like autism, Down syndrome, um, different ways of communicating. Um, But on top of that, going back into the school system, these kids have severe sensory needs and will not be able to wear a mask or be able to, um, you know, participate in social distancing because of their challenges. Um, And also as a related service provider, you know, my caseload as of this past year was 39 students. Um, So I don't have the option of staying with just a small number of students throughout the day. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how this affects special education. Thank you for the question and for your work, Uh, really important work you do. The special education uh, rollout is going to be carefully considered with our special education office and and practitioners. We've heard from special education providers about the impact, as as was mentioned by the caller, the impact on students with special needs and how distance learning is not not the best option for them. Um, We we know health and safety is paramount for the students and for the staff. And we have uh, a little bit different uh, requirements and measures for staff members that work with students that are uh, without a mask or students with special needs that require um, maybe hand over hand, kind of like what nurses are going to be wearing or what uh, precautionary uh, equipment nurses will be wearing. So there is some differentiation with uh, staff members that work with students that are uh, special needs or have additional needs. And um, there's a little bit more detail in the plan that could help guide the district's planning as well. But, you know, this teacher brought up a a challenge that we're going to have to put our heads together and do the best to make sure that we're balancing access to learning, but also doing it in an environment that's safe. We're going to have to leave it there. State Education Commissioner Dr. Miguel Cardona, we hope to have you back before August so we can uh, keep talking with you about how this will all work. Thank you for your time. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Right after the break, we're going to hear from teachers and superintendents, and we'll continue to take your calls. Uh, What do you want to see happen? What needs to be in place at your child's school before you consider he or she returning? Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We just heard from State Education Commissioner Miguel Cardona. We wanted to hear from teachers and superintendents as well. Joining us now by phone is Michael Connors. He's the City of Middletown uh, Public Schools Superintendent. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Hope all is well. We know you also have to go off to a meeting, so I'll I'll keep this brief. I want you to respond uh, to uh, the state's announcement. Again, they briefed superintendents uh, before uh, uh, having the public announcement uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, How is the city of Middletown Public Schools going to make this work? Yeah, uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, First, I think that there was a lot of uh, health data uh, from the state as well as environmental statistics that was taken in, that was taken into consideration uh, for making this uh, decision yesterday uh, by Governor Lamont and Commissioner Cardona. So you know we're ready to um, obviously we've been scenario planning since uh, we went into our distance learning plan since March, and uh, we'll be ready because we've identified uh, various plans, uh, specific steps, and tenants that we wanted to. Um, to take a look at and what we want to implement based off of the decision that was made yesterday. So uh, obviously we want to continue leveraging innovation, uh, the level of creativity that our teachers, our leaders have embarked upon uh, since uh, uh, March 13th. So uh, I believe that we're going to be ready. We're very confident in our planning and also um, we're looking at this as kind of like this co-creation of how we transition back in a safe context. Um, uh, Michael Connors, you said that you feel ready and you're going to make this work, but uh, are you worried about teacher or staff shortages come fall? Maybe there are teachers who have health condition or someone in their family, a staff member, and they don't feel comfortable going back to work. How will you handle that? Uh, there's various conditions that we have to examine. Obviously, when we start uh, really uh, getting into the deep planning and identifying those specific logistics that you identified, uh, we're going to collaboratively look into them and see how we can be able to address and mitigate them. Obviously, we don't want to put anybody in any type of uh, health or safety hazard uh, as we reenter. So, you know, we're going to be working with our teachers. We're going to be working with the various unions as well as the leaderships to examine all of those uh, specific conditions and create mechanisms uh, within Middletown Public Schools where, A, the priority will be safety, um, A, again, health, and as well as ensuring that we're following the state guidelines with social distancing as well as physical distancing within the schools. We're going to have to leave it there because we know you also have a meeting to go to. Again, Michael Connors, who's the Middletown Public Schools Superintendent. We hope to check back with you in August. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Take care. Uh, I wanted to talk about, uh, again, uh, the the decisions that teachers will have to make, thinking about uh, wanting to see their students again, but also thinking about the health and safety of themselves, their families. Joining us on Zoom now is Claudia Tanelia. She's a middle school social studies teacher with the Hartford Public Schools District. Claudia, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. We tried to cover a lot with Commissioner Cardona. As a teacher, what is your response to what you're hearing from the state? Um, You know, I want to go back. I want to be in the classroom. I know that's what's best for my students. Um, But I worry about what is this really going to look like on a day-to-day basis? Like your caller, um, Rebecca, had said, you know, we have to enforce dress code. How are we going to be also enforcing the masks? Um, We, you know, leading up to this, I, I know myself and many teachers were supplying our hand sanitizer and our disinfectant wipes. And so what is this going to actually look like in my classroom is what I'm concerned about. And I think before there were a lot of unknowns, but now we, we know what 
we have to expect that we have to be prepared for distance learning and we have to work things out in our classroom. But I, I'm just concerned about the safety protocols. Like my classroom is not large enough to have desks be six feet apart. Um, so I just, I don't know what this is going to look like. Uh, when we talk about uh, online learning, again, so many schools having to shift quickly, parents, students, as well as uh, mm -hmm. teachers, what was it like for you uh, doing this shift? And again, as Commissioner Cardona says, uh, you know, they're going to give school districts the flexibility to pivot uh, if health trends start to look like, you know, cases are spiking, this is not safe for people to be back mm -hmm. in school. So what does that mean for you and your students? Um. Fortunately, now, if we do have to pivot, we have been through it. Um, so certain things have already been set up. I know in Hartford, we use Google Classroom, so students are familiar with that now. Um, but I think we're going we're gonna to have to prepare for both scenarios and be prepared, prepared to go online. Um, I know when it first happened, it was quite an adjustment. Um, some teachers, like myself, were fortunate. I, I came from a school that had been one-to-one, -one, and so I had some experience with that already. But for a lot of us, it was a very steep learning curve. Um, and even though we just finished about two weeks ago and we're kind of taking a breath and a step back, I think we need to really be using some time now to figure out how we're going to be fully prepared for the fall. Mm. Uh, if you had it your way, what would you want to see happen this fall in terms of how you can continue to teach children but do it safely, Claudia? Um, I'd want to make sure we're all supplied with, you know, masks and gloves and whatever we need to feel safe. And we would have to have smaller class sizes. I mean, in the classrooms we have now with, you know, 20, 25, sometimes 30 in, in some schools, I, I don't see how we're really gonna be able to socially distance. Um, as the seventh grader said, right? You know, when there's a lot of kids at school, as is typical, the hallways are crowded. It's, it's really difficult to, to not be close to people and not be rubbing shoulders. Um, so we need to figure out a way to not have us all be too close together. And I'm just not sure what that's going to look like. It just sounds like there's a lot of unknowns, also a lot of pressure. In the meantime, what about learning loss and how you're also going to have to respond to, uh, you know, standards or uh, lessons that students need uh, to be, um, you know, to get more practice on? Because again, this school year that just ended was like none that anyone has experienced before. I mean, how are you going to do it all, Claudia? Absolutely. Um, I, I wish I had the magic answer. I mean, I think, I believe the work we're going to be doing this school year is going to be some of the most important of our careers and the most challenging, but um, we're teachers and we meet our students where they are and we will move them forward, right? That is what our work, that's what we always do. Seth's calling in. He's a teacher in, uh, in Norwich. Uh, Seth, uh, welcome to the show. How are, how are you going to do it? Hi, thank you very much for taking my call. Go ahead, Seth. Um, uh, one of the things I wanted to say was that teaching today, kids aren't sitting in rows, facing forward, listening to me lecture, watching a PowerPoint. Teaching today in most classes is very interactive, where we have kids working in groups, we have kids problem-solving together. So if it's not safe to go back, and we have to keep kids six feet apart, I think it's going to be very difficult to teach them in the classroom setting. It's going to be difficult to motivate them in that type of setting because they're used to very interactive, cooperative, problem-solving type learning in, in all, really in all subjects. 
I teach science, but I know in all subjects in our school, we try to get kids involved and working together as much as possible. Well, thank you for giving us that important perspective as we talk about, again, what this is going to look like in the fall uh, if schools fully reopen. Uh, with us on Zoom again is Claudia Tanelia. She teaches in the Hartford Public Schools District. We're going to take a short break and we're going to continue to take your phone calls and hear from another superintendent as well as continue to talk with Claudia. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. With us on Zoom, Claudia Tanelia, a middle school social studies teacher with the Hartford Public Schools District. I want to take a quick call. Christy is calling in from North Haven. Uh, Christy, we, I'm sorry we weren't able to take your call when the commissioner was on, but you do bring up a good point. Could you talk with our listeners about uh, what you wanted to share? Yeah, sure. So I can start by saying my question comes informed as an educational psychologist a professor of child development, and also a mother of two students that go to public school. So I wanted to specifically have the commissioner address the physical, cognitive, and socio-emotional needs of our students that all of us educators learn about. And it doesn't seem that that has been addressed. And a great comment from my 15-year-old was, Mom, they say we can't have cell phones, but the teachers can't spend all day telling us to put our cell phones away because then we won't learn anything. And this is from a child that's compliant. So whether we're talking about a kindergartner who is still learning to keep their hands to themselves, a middle schooler who is being told that vaping, juuling, whatever we're calling it today is a danger to their health, yet they're doing it in the classroom and in the bathroom. And then these high school students who often with an underdeveloped frontal lobe don't wanna to be told what to do. I just don't see how this vision keeps in mind the safety of our students. And I really believe Either we're ready to go back or we aren't because these guidelines will not protect our students in a reasonable manner. Christy, thank you. Claudia Tonelli, again, you've been a teacher for, I believe, 13 years. I'm sure yeah. you're thinking often about socio-emotional development of your students. Uh, how do you respond to Christy's point? Um, she makes really good points. Those are my concerns as well, um, right? We already we have issues with a lot of the things we already have to manage um, that this presents another layer to that. And how can we really, really make sure that everyone is is safe and following the right protocols? Um, I, you know, I mean, I, hopefully this, this fact that it is a pandemic has, has made an effect and it is not just every day. This is what you can do and this is what you can't do. Um, but this, this is my big concern. Right. And I, I think there's a really good point to that. Right. We either can go back and do it safely or maybe we, don't go back yet. Uh, Thomas Moore is joining us on the phone now. He is the superintendent of the West Hartford Public Schools District. Uh, Thomas Moore, welcome to our show. Thanks. Good morning. I wanted you to address uh, the point that our uh, previous caller made about how reopening is going to address the physical and social emotional development benchmarks that educators need to use to make decisions. How are you guiding your staff? The, I've got to be honest, the only way to address these concerns is by reopening. I mean, I've, I've been listening over time and Commissioner Cardona's presentation, and I've got to say there's a pessimism that I understand because people are fearful. Um, 
everybody's fearful. Anybody with children understands the risks of this disease. But the more we read, the more we study, the more we plan. And as time goes by, I think we should celebrate a few things. We should celebrate how Connecticut has done in working with this. We've gone from communities with hundreds of cases a week to zero a week. And now as we move towards what do we need as a society, we've been talking about equity continuously. What we need is education. And what we need is our kids to come together because it's more than one of the key components of that social emotional needs of our kids is them being together. And that the social element of school and the social element of society is the only thing that's going to move us forward. So I think it's incredibly important that we not just talk about every problem, but we actually start talking about our solutions to these problems. Mm. Claudia, how do you respond uh, to uh, Superintendent Moore's point? I, I do agree that we do what we can do and, and not get... But I'm also wondering... What is that going to look like, right? What exactly are we doing in, in these plans? Um, and I think that does come down to individual individual districts, right? So how are you bringing staff together over the summer and teachers um, and helping to support them and have them work on this? Um, that's going to be a really big piece of it, that teachers, administrators, staff are all working together on coming up with solutions for their districts. Mm. Uh, Thomas Moore, you come from a well-resourced school district. Uh, I imagine the town of West Hartford will have uh, many emotional mental health support for their students. But when we look to the neighboring school district of Hartford, uh, maybe not so much. And is that problematic? How can the state address uh, those needs? Well, I think there's a big misconception right there about a well-resourced school district. I don't think people understand West Hartford, whereas it may not have the same Actually, it does have the same challenges of every district. It just has every kind of piece in West Hartford. But we're almost 30% free and reduced lunch. Over half of our, almost half of our students are students of color. So we're coming from, we've got all types of students in our school. I didn't have a budget increase this year. Um, so what we have to do is find ways, and we have to prioritize. And this is the kind of thing that over the past few years, we have prioritized those social-emotional needs. So people will say, well, you've had declining enrollment in places. Why haven't the budgets come down dramatically? The reason is because if you look at what superintendents are spending money on, it's special education and social-emotional needs. So I, I don't think it's fair to assume that one district is well-funded and another is, isn't as well-funded. And I understand there are realities to that, but I also think it's important to look at per-pupil expenditures. So you can say West Hartford's well-funded. We were 117th per-pupil expenditure last year in the state of Connecticut, so I take a little umbrage with that. Mm. But if you needed extra resources, uh, don't you think that there are more families in West Hartford that would be able to help their school districts with these supports versus a Hartford Public Schools? Well, we don't we don't use the PTO to pay for things. That's one of the biggest misnomers that's out there. I can't I don't get to go door to door and ask for extra tax receipts from people. That's that's decided by the town and that's allocated by um, the town council. And so it's something whereas I can get support, but I've got you know we've got schools that are a wide variety. We West Hartford looks like the United States. We have many many different different needs throughout our community, throughout our different schools. So while I understand the point, I think every superintendent and every taxpayer in this state has to be willing to say, we know we're hitting a hard time. We know this. 
and the state and each of our towns has to decide that education is going to be the thing that's sacrosanct, that education is going to be the thing that moves our society and our state forward. And that's what we need to protect is is our kids here and across the country. Uh, Claudia Tanelia, I want to let you uh, have the last word as a teacher again. Uh, when you talk with your students, what are you hearing from them? Do they want to go back? Uh, what are their fears, their hopes for the fall? Um, mostly from they, they do want to go back. Um, they really miss being with their friends. Even the ones you would least expect have told me we go back. Um, so, yeah. I'm like the superintendent said, I mean, this, this social piece of being together is really important to them, no doubt. Well, Claudia, we thank you for joining us here on the show. Claudia Tanelli, again, a middle school social studies teacher with the Hartford Public School District. Also, Thomas Moore joined us, the town of West Hartford superintendent. Still a lot uh, to figure out and talk about uh, within our communities. We hope to uh, revisit this conversation before schools open again. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. On the phones today, Carmen Baskoff. You can reach us where we live at WMPR.org. You can direct message us on Twitter and find us on Facebook. Just search where we live. We hope you have a great weekend.